Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Well, hello. I'm Marcus. And alongside me is Mr. Nick Chaffee. Hello. Now, for those of you who don't know, and many of you do, Nick is the man that loves movies so much that he's working on a film. Again. How, how many films have I made at this oh, point? Jeez. <laughs> I've lost count. So many. Should have these down. But this film is about the hunt for a dark and emotional fish that listens to music by My Chemical Romance. Okay, okay. It's something he's called... Finding Emo. Great, love it. Coming up on today's show, it's time to go where no brick has gone before, as we review a much-anticipated sequel to the Lego Movie 2, the second part. And available to rent is the Oscar-nominated A Star Is Born, this is the story of a hard-drinking musician who discovers and falls in love with a young singer. We share our thoughts on that in the second half of the show. Also, I've got five famous film quotes for you to try and identify in the Take 5 movie quiz. And that's coming up in 25 minutes. There and about. Right now, though, I shall put you in the safe hands of Nick as he has the latest movie news for you. Yep. This is a good song, by the way. Loving this. So, headlines this week. Uh, the BAFTAs 2019, the favourite reigns almost supreme as rumour takes best picture. And at the Oscars, uh, the ad break awards row deepens. So, our first story. Olivia Colman's performance as the unstable, self-pitying and hilariously bad-mannered Queen Anne won her BAFTA Award success on Sunday evening, one of seven awards for the 18th century comedy The Favourite. The film was easily the biggest winner at the glitzy Royal Albert Hall ceremony, picking up prizes including Best British Film, Best Production Design, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay and Best Costume Design. Colman followed up her success at the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards by being named Best Actress, a category pundits predicted would feature a close race between her and Glenn Close, nominated for The Wife. We are having an amazing night, aren't we? said Coleman in her speech, which meant with a standing ovation. We are going to get so drunk later. It caps a stratospheric rise for the actor who, early in her career, struggled for parts and was best known for comedy, becoming a regular in Mitchell and Webb television and radio sketches and peep show. Later came career-changing dramas such as Broadchurch and The Night Manager, and up next, the middle-aged Elizabeth II in Netflix's The Crown. Playing a queen does not guarantee BAFTA success, but it unquestionably helps. Common follows in the footsteps of Catherine Hepburn, who played Eleanor of... Uh, uh, ooh. Let me try this. Eleanor of Aquitaine. I wish we had some sort of a history expert so I can, they, they can give me a thumbs up if that was correct or not. Uh, Julie Dench for Elizabeth I and uh, Victoria. Kate Blanchett for, also for Elizabeth I. And Helen Mirror, who played Elizabeth II in winning for a royal term. Both her co-stars, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, were nominated for Best Supporting Actress, with Weisz winning out. Weisz paid tribute to her co-stars, saying, I salute you, didn't we have an extraordinary time? Hats off, ladies. 
It was a terrific night for the favourite, but it lost out to the widely lauded Tearjerker Roma in the Best Film category. Roma's director Alfonso Cuaron was named Best Director, beating Yorgos Lanthimos, Spike Lee, Bradley Cooper and Pavel Pavlikovsky. It also won Best Cinematography by Cuaron himself and Best Film Not in the English Language. Cuaron thanked Netflix for having the, quote, faith and courage to get behind a black and white film about a domestic worker, subtitled from Spanish, and bring it to audiences around the world. To see a film about an indigenous domestic worker embraced this way in an age when fear and anger proposed to divide us means the world to me. Reverting back to a world of separation and isolation is not a solution to anything. It is simply an excuse to hide our fear within our basest instincts. Bohemian Rhapsody won two awards, including Best Actor for Rami Manek's remarkable portrayal of Freddie Mercury. Can You Ever Forgive Me star Richard E. Grant continued to enjoy his award season party, grinning constantly and posing for photographs, but he failed to win Best Supporting Actor, losing to Mahershala Ali for Green Book. Other awards included Best Original Music for A Star Is Born and Outstanding British Debut for The Filmmakers of Beast. It was a brilliant night for the favourite, but the BAFTA record of nine awards, set in 1971 by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, remains intact. Now, I don't know if anyone from BAFTA will be listening to the show, but if they are, I think you did a very good job. Well done. I did, yeah. <laughs> Particularly Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Oh, I love Olivia Coleman. So good. She's she's been very good for a very long time. Yes, I, I think I, I think I'm right to think this is like her first big film role. So to, yeah, to win it to to make such a mark in the in the film world immediately is uh, yeah, that's good for her. Fantastic. I'm a big fan of her. Always have been. A host of Hollywood luminaries, including Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino and Rachel Morrison, the first woman to be nominated for the Best Cinematography Oscar, have signed an open letter demanding the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences reverse its decision to relegate four Oscar presentations to ad breaks in the live telecast of its annual awards show. The Academy's decision to move the presentations for cinematography, editing, live-action shorts and make them in hair out of the live TV broadcast, though it shows up on a live stream on this website, has been greeted with a chorus of disapproval from the film industry. The letter states, Relegating these essential cinematic crafts to lesser status in this 91st Academy Awards ceremony is nothing less than an insult to those of us who have devoted our lives and passions to our chosen profession. When the recognition of those responsible for the creation of outstanding cinema is being diminished by the very institution whose purpose it is to protect it, then we are no longer upholding the spirit of the Academy's promise to celebrate film as a collaborative art form. It goes on to include a quote from another of the letter signatories, actor-director Seth Rogen. What better way to celebrate achievements in film than to not publicly honour the people whose job it is to film things? Scores of leading industry figures have added their names to the letter, including cinematographers Roger Deakins, Raleigh Fister and Seamus McGarvey, directors Damien Giselle, Karen Kasama and Alejandro Gonzalez in Yaratu, and actors Jude Law, Brad Pitt and Chloe Savigny. They joined early protests from Russell Crowe, who called the decision fundamentally stupid, just too dumb for words, and previous Best Director winners Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro. The Academy responded with a statement blaming, uh, quote, inaccurate reporting and social media posts for a chain of misinformation that has understandably upset many Academy members. It says the four categories concerned were volunteered by branch heads to have their nominees and winners announced by presenters and included later in the broadcast. It added, such decisions are fully deliberated. Our show producers have given great consideration to both Oscar tradition and our broad global audience. 
The row is the latest misstep to have hit the Academy as it seeks to reverse a catastrophic decline in ratings for its flagship TV broadcast. Its chosen host Kevin Hart stepped down after an outcry over homophobic comments and tweets. A proposal for a Best Popular Film Oscar was dropped after widespread ridicule. A plan to drop performances of three of the five Oscar-nominated songs had to be cancelled. And a suggestion that presentations by last year's acting winners be ditched in favour of more attention-grabbing names was swiftly reversed. Uh, the, the, the trial continues. Now, I don't know if anyone from the Oscars is listening to today's show, but if you are, those, uh, those guys and gals over at BAFTA might be able to give you a hand and show you how it's done. Yeah, because uh, I think watching the BAFTAs uh, last weekend was an interesting comparison, considering the, sh- the show, they gave out the same amount of, well, pretty much the same awards that the Oscars are planning to give out you know, live as well, did it all in under two hours, and basically just just got on, on with it really <laughs> I don't regularly watch the Oscars because well in, in my experience it's never been worth staying up for unfortunately although I am I am interested in who's nominated and who wins and such uh, but I feel like there's a lot of baggage in between uh, announcements that they could easily get rid of those sort of comedic skits that never quite work um, I don't know I, they could figure it out but they're they're having a tough time really. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll get it back on track good luck yeah Sunshine Radio the hospital radio station for Western Supermare available free on your telecall bedside entertainment unit on Radio Channel 7 well let's give you a rundown now of the top five UK box office films and UK DVD rentals we shall start at the box office and at number five we have Glass yeah which I sort of uh, commented on last time it just in- incredibly disappointing coming from someone who uh, really really loved Unbreakable and quite liked um, Split. Split that was the one I was thinking of I, I just think the execution wasn't there really it's a shame that they couldn't cast Bruce Willis they have someone who looks like Bruce Willis but for some reason has absolutely no uh, no presence at all oh, really? which is surprising because <laughs> Bruce Willis was in, in, in Unbreakable it's, it's, it's a shame that they couldn't get him to be present in this new one Oh, Paul Bruce. Mm. At number four, we have Green Book. Yes, which I've also seen. Uh, sort of, I think, surprising um, frontrunner when it comes to uh, chances of uh, Oscar success. One uh, Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali at the BAFTAs last weekend. It's um, it's okay. It's the kind of movie I think is completely saved by the performances of the lead actors because it's a the kind of story that I think we've seen plenty of times before. D- despite what the uh, I've seen the the advert on the side of a bus is saying uh, remarkable a film like no other, <laughs> which is completely incorrect because it's, it's basically Driving Miss Daisy, which came out in 1989. Actually, I think I think the best summation of the film came from Simon Mayo. Not that we want to get into the habit of praising other film programs, but I think he said it best when he said it's Driving Miss Daisy again. This time the racist is in the front. <laughs> but Mahersha Ali is good. Viggo Mortensen is very good. At number three at the UK box office, it's the third uh, outing for How to Train Your Dragon with The Hidden World. Yeah, we, I think we reviewed the, the second one on the programme back in the day. I remember, I don't remember too much about it. I remember preferring the first one, because the second one was, uh, I think, a bit more complicated, in, in a way that some sequels feel that they, they have to be, they have to add, add more stuff. Also, I remember I was <laughs> really bothered by uh, the performance of someone who I perceived, for some reason, to be James Corden. But it's, it wasn't James Gordon, it was Kit Harrington, who's a completely different person. <laughs> anyway. At number two, we have Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, uh, produced by James Cameron, directed by Robert Rodriguez, um, based on a best-selling Japanese manga. 
Okay. There we go. At number one, we have the Lego Movie 2, the second part, which we will be reviewing very shortly. We will. Okay, so let's jump over to the UK DVD rentals, quickly shoot through these. At number five, we have King of Thieves. Mm -hmm. Good cast. <laughs> okay. Huge cast. Yeah. I think we went through all of them last time. We did, yeah. But let's just say, good cast. At number four, this film, <laughs> it's still there i feel like we should have some sort of uh pool running on when it's finally going to drop out of the top five never but never it's gone back up it's the greatest showman yeah at number three the predator which we uh reviewed last time yeah to uh, much joy and amusement <laughs> saw so much debate between you and i <laughs> it was it's i mean it's trash but i enjoyed it i think that's fair enough okay <laughs> i'll agree on that one yeah uh number two it's the house with a clock in its walls yeah clocky house <laughs> tick tock a um yeah, children a sort of children's family movie directed by eli roth the director of hostel and hostel 2 okay <laughs> and starring jack black yes and kate blanchett as well i think I think so, yeah. Oops. And at number one uh, in the UK DVD rentals, we have Venom. Yeah, speaking of trash, yeah. um, <laughs> which I also enjoyed. Um, actually, like Green Book, this is a film that's, I think, saved by the performance of, of Tom Hardy, who's clearly having a lot of fun. His performance, I think, is the, the only reason to, to see the film, which is otherwise feels like a, a throwback to the, you know, the, the, the not-so-good superhero movies of the early 2000s. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. But Tom Hardy's uh, great in it. I think Tom Hardy draws a lot of audience to a lot of programmes, whether they're good or bad anyway. He's a popular chap. He is. Might be so. <laughs> OK, up next, it's been five years since everything was awesome, but the citizens are facing a huge new threat. Lego Duplo Invaders from Outer Space. Oh, yeah. Well, if you want to know what the heck I'm talking about, we'll stay right there as we review the Lego Movie 2. Well, now it's time for us to review The Lego Movie 2, the second part, rated U. The citizens of Bricksburg face a dangerous new threat when Lego Jitlo invaders from outer space start to wreck everything in their path. The battle to defeat the enemy and restore harmony to the Lego universe takes Emmett, Lucy, Batman and the rest of their friends to faraway, unexplored worlds that test their courage and creativity. Bring me your fiercest leader. Yeah, that's me, this guy, coming through. I'm the leader of... You? I don't think so. When everyone became the special, didn't we all become leaders? I sense no leadership qualities from you. My readout confirms you to be soft, fragile, and a less than worthy opponent. Hey, you watch what you say about Emmett. He saved the universe a few years back. This guy was a fierce warrior? Okay, well, technically, I did the warrior stuff, but... So, you fought, and masterbuilt, and kicked butt, and then the hapless male was the leader. Um, well, you know, he was a symbol for that we all have ideas. But you did all the work. Well, well hey, Emmett is the sweetest, most optimistic guy you could ever meet. And I know those qualities are not useful anymore, and that Emmett isn't changing with the times and lacks a killer instinct and in general just isn't tough enough. Not tough enough? Yeah, but this guy is the special. Well, at least he was. <laughs> the Lego Movie 2 was directed by Mike Mitchell who previously directed a series of animated films such as Trolls, uh, Spongebob Movie, Shrek Forever After, and 20 years ago, 
the comedy classic, Juice Diggolo, Nail Jiggolo. Oh, okay. It's one of those films that I never perceive as having a director. (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of happened. Uh, The writers Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, the men behind the original Lego movie and Jump Street films, are back, joined this time by Matthew Fogel, who worked with them on the film Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. It stars the voices of Chris Pratt, Elizabeth Banks, Will Arnett, and for British comedy fans, you'll also hear uh, Noel Fielding and Richard Iwadi. Mm. Now, Nick, the first film, instant favourite of ours. We loved it, we raved. We did. Um, does the sequel hold up? And perhaps more importantly, does it even try to? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the question of effort was um, sort of hanging around this one um because you know we can say toy story 2 was amazing but it wasn't always going to be so it sort of started out um you know planned to just be like a, a director to video thing until pixar went yeah you know what we can we can do something with this and then it turned out to be as good as it was um so, so yeah the original Lego movie leaves a very a very high um benchmark because I, I listened back to our review from 2014 sound quality and that's terrible by the way <laughs> I'm glad we've uh, sort of tightened up things since then. Um, and, and we were, it, was no, it was nothing but glowing throughout. And that was primarily down to the approach that uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller took to the material. It was a film that I think very easily could have been just another average CGI animation based on a, a recognisable licence, like um, you know, the, the Angry Birds movie, for, for instance. Uh, but it wasn't. And it, it turned out to be not just a movie with Lego characters in it, but a movie about what Lego as a construction toy and you know and toys in general can mean to people both young and old in in a way that I think I think complemented what Pixar did with the the Toy Story films. It was expectedly very funny and unexpectedly very clever. So obviously, when it comes to making a sequel, that surprise element is no longer there. And I think if you if you've seen the original, you already know what the theme of this one is going to be. Uh, and I think that Lord and Miller knew that, which is why they've made sure that there's still something to say about how Lego works as a toy for different people in in this one. Whereas the first film looks at uh, an age gap, the sequel examines a gender gap, and it, it does so in a very respectful way, uh, I think. There was some valid criticism of the first film when it came to how it used its female characters, which is something that's addressed in, in, in that clip that we just heard. And it, that ties into an overarching theme of sibling friction, which is uh, something I, I personally can definitely relate to, and I'm sure lots of people listening to can as well. But there's also a, a deeper theme that I was really impressed by, and it's it's something that's represented by the, the villain of the film, who reflects one of the more toxic parts of uh, fandom, that has been rearing its head recently. It's the um, the sort of the side of people, almost a, a, a controlling or uh, gatekeeping nature of of big fans. That when faced with the idea of the thing that they are big fans of, uh, possibly evolving to attract new fans from different demographics and backgrounds, they for some reason have the impulse to destroy the, th- the thing that they love, rather than share it it's a sort of line of thing you know if, if i can't enjoy this on my own no one can um and that's a heck of a thing to touch on in a, in a family film especially when the, when the film itself is making use of a license that means a lot to a lot of people from their childhoods and incredibly the film manages to tackle these themes while 
being almost as funny as the first one. And I will, I will never stop being astonished that Lord and Miller keep finding ways to perfectly balance the drama and humour in their scripts. This, this is something that I talked about with um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse a couple of months ago. Now, I, I say almost as funny because there, there were a few lines and moments in this that didn't didn't quite work for me, whereas the first was, I think, pretty much perfect on that front all the way through. Uh, there's, a, there's a vampire character voiced by Noel Fielding, who you mentioned, who is a, a parody of Edward from the, the Twilight films. Uh, a film series which is uh, over ten years old at this point, and the film doesn't really do anything new with their reference. So that, for me, felt a little bit flat. But mostly, like 99% of the time, still still very good. Visually, I think the film is just as impressive as the first one. Uh, I love the animation on uh, Queen Whatever Wannabe. Uh, she's a character that has has no fixed shape, so she's sort of constantly shifting, which works wonderfully with her musical numbers and uh, Tiffany Haddish's vocal performance as well. Uh, speaking of which, the cast remain excellent. There's there's no Morgan Freeman or Liam Neeson this time, but we do get Tiffany Haddish and Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine Nine, Richard Ayurati, Maya Rudolph, who I'm a very big fan of, and a very famous actor who I won't spoil, but you, you'll see them in the film and think, ah, oh, that's a, that's a really good impersonation. It's it's really them. And it has to be said, they are a lot better in this than they have been for several years. So I'm, I'm glad they managed to get that performance out of that particular person as well. We're asking it a Sunshine Cinema Club rating then, Nick. Yeah, very high. Eight out of ten. Uh, Boom. Yeah, doesn't have the surprise factor of the original, but uh, takes great steps to say something just as important and remains uh, just as entertaining. Still to come. A musician helps a young singer find fame, even as agent alcoholism sends his own career into a downward spiral. We review A Star Is Born. But up next, it's the Take 5 Film Quiz. Now on the Sunshine Cinema Show, it's time for the Take 5 Quiz. So this is how it's going to work. I have five action movie quotes. Oh. And I just need you to name the film that the quote is from. Now, you're going up against Nick. Yep. And because Nick is a fully paid up member of the Film Nerd Association. Yep. The direct debit went through earlier this, this month, so I am fully paid up. <laughs> he only scores a point if he names the film and the actor that said the line. So here we go. Five film quotes. Let's start with film quote number one. That's not a knife. That's a knife. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Okay, quote number two. Madness. This is Sparta. <laughs> yeah. I'm so used to hearing that in such a specific way. To hear it performed... Better. Sure. Properly. Uh, <laughs> as the actor and director should have said. <laughs> no, this, this is Sparta. Okay, question... Uh, sorry, quote number three. Say what again? Say what again? (laughs) 
quote number four. Forgiveness is between them and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. Forgiveness is between them and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. And finally, from quote number five. Consider that a divorce. One more time. Consider that a divorce. Hmm. Have a little think. And we'll be back with the answers. Right. You're back with the Sunshine Cinema Show. With Marcus and Nick. And we're going to give you the answers to our Take 5 film quiz. Are you ready? Okay. Film number one, and I only need the film title from you, but from Nick, I need the title and the actor that said the line. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Did you say action films at the beginning of the... Uh, I did. Okay. I consider this an action film. Very laid-back action film. It's got action in it. And it's a film. Okay. <laughs> in particularly in this scene. No, no argument from here. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, certainly. Uh, so the film in question is Crocodile Dundee. And the actor playing the titular role was Paul Hogan. Well. No? Crocodile Dundee? Or Crocodile Dundee 2? No, it was the first one. Yeah. You sure? Yeah, because because I've seen the first one. <laughs> and you thought it was who that said that? Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan or Paul Hogan? <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> it's Paul Hogan. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Number two, madness. This is Sparta. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But it still it still makes me laugh just hearing it in, in a normal voice. <laughs> uh, but the movie is three hundred, and the actor is Gerard Butler. Correct. On both. Another yeah. three. Say what again? I think probably the only line from this particular scene that you could probably say safely on the radio. Yeah. Without it ending up sounding like Morse code. Yes. Uh, so that film is Pulp Fiction. The actor is Samuel L. Jackson. Correct. Number four, forgiveness is between them and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. This one I don't know, but it's a very good line. Man on fire. Ah, not seen it. One, Den- two. Denzel Washington. Yeah. Excellent film. And finally, number five, consider that a divorce. So I'm finishing with the king of the one-liners. Total Recall. Correct. And the actor is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Correct. I must say, I'm impressed that you got that one. I thought that was uh, a hard one. I thought it was quite an obscure one. Uh, probably more obscure than some of his uh, quips, but uh, no, it's a very good one. Excellent. Well very done, Very Nick. good film as well. Um, do you want to top your little scores up there? And uh, four out of five for bad. me. Not bad. How did you get on against Nick? I hope you did there. Just getting too easy for him. <laughs> going to have to make it harder. Okay, up next. Uh, now, some of you may remember a film back in 1976, called A Star Is Born. Or maybe another film of a similar title in the 50s. 1954, or the 40s. Yeah. 
or even 1937. Yeah. However, up next, we're going to review the 2018 version, A Star Is Born. Available to rent at the moment is A Star Is Born, rated 15. Seasoned musician Jackson Maine discovers and falls in love with struggling artist Ali. She has just about given up on her dream to make it big as a singer until Jackson coaxes her into the spotlight. The evening as Ali's career takes off, the personal side of their relationship is breaking down as Jackson fights an ongoing battle with his own internal demons. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Pretty good. I started writing this song the other day. Maybe that could work, like as a chorus or something. I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I never meet the ground. Crash through the surface Where they can't hurt us We're far from the shallow now Can I tell you a secret? I think you might be a songwriter. A Star Is Born stars Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, and Sam Elliott. Um, I was interested to uh, find out that one of the writers was Eric Roth, who wrote one of my favourite films, Forrest Gump. Now, this is directed, uh, co-produced by, co-written by, and stars Bradley Cooper. Yeah. He also produced some of the music as well. <laughs> He's got his finger deeply in this pie. Mm-hmm. But Nick, is this worth checking out? if you don't like Bradley Cooper? That, that's actually the question I was asking myself back when the film came out in September. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting much from A Star Is Born at that time, uh, partly because like, I kind of disliked Bradley Cooper, admittedly for very flimsy reasons. He'd been nominated for uh, three uh, acting Oscars in a row for performances I thought were just okay in films I didn't enjoy, which... I recognise now as a, as being a very silly thing to be upset about, con- considering he had a zero control over that sort of thing. Um, because uh, well, awards are fun, but you, you should never let them legitimise or delegitimise your own personal opinion of, of anything. So I went into this knowing that it was not just a Bradley Cooper film, but um, as, as you just highlighted, the most Bradley Cooper film. Uh, so it was facing a very steep uphill battle when it came to being accepted into my heart. And it blew past all of my expectations uh, pretty much instantly, which is why I've been sort of gushing about this on about, about this film on this program ever since I saw it already. Uh, it hasn't changed my mind about the films he's been in previously, but it has proven to me uh, pretty decisively that Bradley Cooper 
understands film and has a deep love of it and was absolutely the right person to bring this story into the present day. I think the instant that first song started playing, uh, Black Eyes, I was just immediately pulled into the film. Uh, I felt like I was right there in the crowd watching this band perform. It's uh, it's a powerful moment watching the film again at home, but in the cinema, it was something else, and it, it kept me gripped all the way through. So when it comes to watching it at home, I, I was worried that the film wouldn't work quite as well for me, uh, especially considering I was watching it with a, a much less extravagant sound system. Uh, but but it, it does still work just as well. I, I think the sound mixing is probably better suited to a big theatre. Watching it on a TV, I've, I found it a little a, a little difficult to hear some of the dialogue in the the more musical sections. I I don't think that's a problem because those are scenes that are relying more on the actors to sell the emotion of a scene with body language rather than um, with uh, with words. Um, similarly, there were a couple of times where uh, there were some awkward editing cuts which I found a little bit jarring but um, again we're talking about maybe 10 seconds total of a, of a film that is over 8,000 seconds long so these are very very minor quibbles from me um, the camera work is is great throughout I'd, I'd forgotten about the 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 slow motion close-ups we see of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper's faces which are I think a perfect visual representation of a blossoming romance and in that way, it reminded me of uh, Barry Jenkins' films uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, which do something similar, I think. Really good stuff. Speaking of Lady Gaga, she was another performer I think I'd uh, quite unfairly written off, but perfectly cast, in my opinion, in, in this way. I think it's a, it's a difficult role as well, I think. Um, one that uh, I feel requires a deep understanding of everything that's happened in that character's life up until the point that we meet her. And I'd say the same goes for Jackson Maine as well, which is uh, Bradley Cooper's character. And not only that, but because the film is built around this central relationship between these two people, we have to believe that they are as deeply in love as the script suggests. And I did. I mean, it's certainly not a, a traditional romance as far as films go. I think they both remain the same people as, as the story unfolds. But there's just something about the way they quickly click together. It's incredibly believable, and and it's nice to watch as, as well. I'm not confident it'll happen, but I really, really do hope that uh, Sam Elliott wins the Oscar for his performance in this as well. He's, he's phenomenal in this. And again, you get a, a deep sense of everything he's, his character has lived through as well. Uh, and the songs are great too. I feel, I feel like people are probably already aware of that, considering how huge Shallow has been um, in terms of... <laughs> financial and, and cultural success and that, that's something else as well it's, it's one thing to write a story about successful songwriters but it's another thing entirely to have those songs become successful on their own terms but i think that's to be expected when you consider the care that's that's gone into this i've said this before about action films but it applies here too if you take care to hire and include people that love what they do and know how to do it well and then allow them the time and attention to do that thing well. It is immediately noticeable in the final film, compared to other films that may may not have been made in the same way. So what I'm saying is, A Star is Born is the Mission Impossible fallout of musicals. So let's give it a sunshine cinema show rating. Out of ten. Yeah, put that on the poster. <laughs> no, well, on my poster. I'll write it on there, in TibX or something. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 as well. Uh, still, still a knockout, even at home, and sort of taken away from the cinema. Just 
great all the way through knows what it needs to do I said this about Mission Impossible Fallout for as well didn't I um, and just does it great songs great cast great story just great all the way through thank you Nick <laughs> Okay, let's give you a few of the upcoming releases at the cinema and on DVD. Uh, starting at the cinema, we have Cold Pursuit with Liam Neeson. Now, uh, get this for a story synopsis. A snowplow driver seeks revenge against the drug dealers he thinks killed his son. Yeah, so it sounds like your, your average Liam Neeson film. Uh, but this is uh, based on a 2014 Norwegian film called In Order of Disappearance. It's remade by the same director. And um, based on the trailer and also some reviews that I've read, it's quite darkly comic, which sort of suggests to me that maybe it's going to be sort of slightly uh, uh, parodying some <laughs> some of Liam Neeson's previous films in a in a way. So I'll be I'll be I'll be curious to see how the execution on that hmm. is like. Maybe maybe it'd be good. Um, out the cinema this weekend, um, Instant Family, starring Mark Rawberg and uh, Rose Byrne, which uh, a couple finds themselves in over their heads when they foster three children i i feel like i've seen a trailer for this in front of every film i've seen uh so well in the last three months or so and i'm, I'm always surprised by how well it seems to work and I've, I've seen i've seen worse trailers for better films so maybe this maybe this will be better than than it could be <laughs> <laughs> what's the um what's the film that he was in uh as the step dad uh Daddy, daddy's home that's yes daddy's that's home? One. Daddy's home. yeah i saw I saw the trailer for Daddy's Home 2 mm-hmm. and thought, oh, this looks quite good. Oh, really? <laughs> and then I watched the film and went, oh, they put all the good bits in the trailer. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be the case with this one as well. But um, anyway, we'll see how it does. Um, also out this weekend, um, one I've been looking forward to, The Kid Who Would Be King. This is the um, Joe Cornish's uh, second film following on from Attack the Block. So he wrote and directed this one too. Um, Attack the Block, I, I really enjoyed yeah, I, I saw it for the first time last week. Yeah. It's taken a long time to get around to this one. I, I, I was a little bit disappointed. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. The people that like it, such as me, really, really like it. And then, um, for a lot of the other people that watch it, just for some reason it just doesn't connect. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I don't, no, I can't put my finger on it. Uh, John Boyega was fantastic in it. Yeah, I mean, that, that was his, I think, his, his breakout role in that one. So if you've you know, seen him in, in Star Wars and... Uh, Pacific Rim up- Uprising, then uh, you know, be good to check out that one as well. See where he where he began, humble beginnings, <laughs> and also out on DVD, one of our favourite films from last year, uh, First Man, mm. starring Ryan Gosling as uh, Neil Armstrong, directed by Damon Chazelle, who previously gave us La La Land and Whiplash as well. This is um, not maybe the kind, not the movie I was expecting. Perhaps it's not your average standard uh, biopic, but really, really good, very almost a calming watch mm. which is strange to say when you consider how stressful some of the uh, events are <laughs> and it, yeah and it captures that perfectly yeah because it's not just about um him becoming the first well it's about him becoming the first man to be on the moon but there's a lot of prologue to that in his sort of time with um you know jets and that sort of thing and also the beginnings of the space program in in general um a lot of a lot of people doing really dangerous things taking yeah. a lot of risks to do some incredible stuff. See, I really enjoyed the the sort of technical engineering side of it all. Yeah. And I I did wonder before you saw it whether that was going to hook you in as well. Mm. And and you were totally on board. I did. I mean, the key for me was the the score by Justin Hurwitz, which is wonderful. It uses um, like a, a harp and a, a theremin as well. They blend together 
wonderfully. Really good music. Really good mm. film. Excellent. Well, that's it. Um, all we've got time for this week on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much to Nick. Thank you. Thank you to you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we look forward to having your company on the next show. missed anything in today's episode you can hear the edited podcast online just search for the sunshine cinema show podcast this is a sunshine hospital radio production get well soon